Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Open up your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 22, and I'm going to continue teaching on Bible prophecy. Matthew, chapter 22. We've been talking about the signs of the times. What is God saying to us? If you could put my timeline up here, guys. One of the greatest signs that's in the Bible that many Christians perhaps don't pay attention to is that Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we who are Christians will add to our faith knowledge. Matter of fact, the Bible says in the last days, knowledge will increase. One of the great rabbinical prophecies is, is that right before the coming of the Messiah, the eyes of the Gentiles would be open, and we'll realize that we have inherited useless and meaningless things. What that means is, is that some of the teachings that we believe are in the Bible aren't actually in the Bible. That they're actually traditions of men. We say them as if they're in the Bible, but there's no where in the Bible that they exist, they've simply become our tradition. We, when we, I came out this morning and welcomed everybody before the service started, we talked about um, the Sabbath. I remember, I remember years ago, uh, a, 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 a great preacher here in town, great preacher, uh, and I saw him on television, and he got up one Sunday morning, he was so angry, and he said, I'm tired of hearing people ask me about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Sunday, God's word says so, end of story. And my question, is, now he's not on television anymore, but my, my question is, where does it say that? Now, we meet on Sunday. We're never to stop meeting on Sunday because that's the day God gives us to fish and teach, and that's our, that's our tradition. But the Sabbath isn't Sunday. There's nowhere in the Bible that says it. No, God said he changed it. Doesn't say that. Another tradition is um, replacement theology. Well, we're the new Israel. Where does it say that? We're the, see, a lot of things that we are taught that we, because we haven't read the Bible, we just say it, but it's not in there. One of the great prophecies in Ephesians is that we will add to our faith knowledge. With all you're getting, get wisdom, get knowledge, get knowledge. Because it's not the truth that sets us free, it's the truth we know. It's the truth we understand, Right? That truth can be out there, but if we don't know it, it can't set us free. It's like somebody bought me a new Mercedes. I was going to say you, but my birthday's coming up. (laughs) If that Mercedes is out there with the keys in it, running, waiting for you to get there, if you don't know it, it's a wasted gift. You understand? And the Bible says that before the coming of the Messiah are... At the coming of the Messiah, the two 
will become one with Jesus, the chief cornerstone. And that means that we're tearing down the wall of division. One of the most important things you and I can do as followers of Christ is tear down the wall of division between Israel and the church. We're going to take another brick out of the wall today. Amen. Read with me in the book of Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again the parable, saying, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. And again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I prepared my dinner My oxen, my fatted cattle are killed, and all the things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. They made light of it. They made light of it. Kind of like the church, a lot of the church today, guys. They made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies to destroy those murderers and burn up their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding." So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all the they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but a few are chosen. Now, what this scripture is talking about, can I have my timeline? What this scripture is talking about is the wedding supper of the Lamb. The wedding supper of the Lamb begins right here. And I'm going to show this to you. It begins right here at the beginning of the Sabbath millennium. Now, let me remind everybody where we are as Americans. And I know people are watching from all the world. So forgive me for just talking about America. But let me show you where we are as Americans. As I said, history says now when we're talking about Bible prophecy, understand everybody is trying to figure it out. We're doing the best we can. But the closer we get to the end, the more we see clearly. So nobody knows, nobody, 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 nobody knows when the Messiah will come. He could come today. He could come in five years. He could come in 10 years. I, I, I believe he's coming in my life. You know, that's in, in the book. And please, if you want to know Bible prophecy, get my new book on seven living prophecies, because it not only gives you every answer concerning Israel, it's a very detailed book, but it shows you 
the amazing timeline we're on. And folks, I believe a thousand percent the clock is now ticking. And we're not a minute from midnight. We're closer than a minute from midnight. We're the, the God is shouting to us, get yourself ready for the rapture. I believe that a, a, a million percent. And so when we look at the timeline and everything could be off a few years, you understand that, right? Because we don't know exactly when all these things happen. But history tells us most nations, when they are 250 years old, somewhere in there, 244, 256, when they're about 250 years old, that nation either collapses or it springs forward into something great. Our nation right now, the United States of America, is 244 years old. Now, give or take, we are right there at that window that our nation, and I believe this November is going to make a big difference. Our nation is either going to take a big spring forward or we're going to take a major leap backwards where we're, and, and when you go backwards, the nation no longer exists. You look at Rome, you look at Greece, you look at Babylon, you look at all these nations that ruled the world. They do not, they are not a power anymore. And so we are in that six-year period. If you look at the biblical calendar, and I know most of you know this, but if you look at the biblical calendar, the Hebrew calendar says that we are at the year from the time of Adam, creation of the world, 5,781 years. 5,781 years to this, uh, uh, from, from the beginning to, to this. That means we're 200 and and 13 years away from the Sabbath millennium. But archaeologists and rabbis and scientists have said we're probably missing 213 years in looking at archaeology and the discoveries of the first temple and the second temple. So if you add 213 years to 5,781 years, that puts us six years from the millennium. Now, you got to figure we're going back thousands of years and looking at stones. We might be off six years. This stone might be 5,787 years old. So we might be off. So what we're saying is we don't know exactly, exactly when this is going to happen. When this happens, it's all over. But we do know that everything is saying we are right there at the threshold of the end of the world as we know it. These next several years are either going to be for you and I and for the world and the nation a major leap forward, or it's going to be the beginning of the destruction. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I feel. The Bible says when the rapture takes place, one will be in, two will be in bed, one will be taken, one will be left. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. I believe that when we hit this area here, I believe in a couple weeks, some of us who do the biblical thing, the righteous thing, will make major step forward. Some of us may be in the same home or in the same church who don't do the biblical thing will take a major step backwards. Now, listen to what I'm telling you, because what I'm going to show you something is going to blow your mind. 
Some, uh, one of my best friends in the world said to me the other day, Pastor, some people are saying you're being too political. Well, let me ask you something. Did they kill Jesus because he taught what everybody wanted to hear? You have. Now, l- listen, I, I, this wasn't even my notes. This is by, I can feel this by the Holy Spirit. Come this next election, no matter what happens, those of us who do the righteous thing are going to go forward. Those of us who don't do the righteous thing are going to go backwards. You have one party that's pro-life. You have one party that's pro-abortion. As a Christian, who do you vote for? So, so well, I don't like that guy. We're, we're not talking about liking the guy. We're talking about killing babies. That's what we're talking about. You have one party that's pro-Israel, another party that's anti-Israel. I will bless those who bless Israel. I will curse those who curse Israel. Whose side are you on? Well, I, I don't like his personality. We're not talking about personality. We have one party that says we're going to shut down the church. There will not not be religious freedom. You will not be able to have religious freedom. Mark my word. You have another one that says, we're giving pastors the right to, and people say, well, pastor, you're being too political. Pastor, you're being too political. I I think most pastors are not political enough. And we might as well be political while we still can. It's a no-brainer, guys. It, it's, it's a no-brainer. It, it, it's a no-brainer. So what we've got to understand is that where we're headed to is right here. And we're close. So let's look at, because right here is the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now remember, the king, who's our heavenly father, says, let's have a wedding for my son. And so he invites people. He invites you, he invites me, he invites people to come. Some say yes, some say no. You're, you're, you're either with the bride or you're not with the bride. You're either with the groom or you're not with the groom. That, that, right? Let's look at how we get here. Now remember Paul, and I'm going to get into some really interesting scriptures. Remember Paul says these things are a shadow of things to come. The word shadow, and I know you all know this, but we have so many new people all the time. Our, we have, you know, we're, we're almost a half a million new partners on television this year. Almost a half a million new partners this year. So sometimes I have to reiterate what I've already taught you, and please be patient. A shadow is not something that is less. A shadow is the exact same thing until the real thing gets there, Right? His shadow, they laid hands on the sick, they were healed. His shadow passed over them, they were healed. It's the same thing. So when it says these are a shadow of things to come, and, it's, and this will be fascinating when we get to something new for you. The shadow, Passover, the Passover lamb was a shadow until the day Jesus died. And we went from a shadow, on the shadow, exactly what happened when Jesus died on the cross, 
that shadow, the Passover lamb for Israel, that exact same thing happened, only it was temporary, and then they would have to do it again. We don't have to do it again because Jesus is our one-time Passover lamb. Can I have an amen? From the shadow to the real thing, all right? Then we have, and this is, what, this, is Mal- this is Malachi. Malachi 3 says, return unto me and I'll return to you. How do we return? Three times a year, we come before the Lord and we don't come empty handed, celebrating what happens on Passover. There are certain miracles released on them. Celebrate what happens on the feast of Shavuot. Shavuot and Pentecost are the same day. Tiswin on our television program said it so well. She said, I always thought that Pentecost began in the book of Acts. Pentecost began all the way back uh, when Israel came out of Egypt. Shavuot is, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. It's the same day when the day of Pentecost had fully come on Shavuot, God would release his anointing. Today, now that we're in Pentecost, the anointing doesn't last a year. Wherever we go, the anointing of God goes with you. It's from a year thing to forever until the Messiah comes, right? You all know that. Then we get to the month of Elul, the last month on the Hebrew calendar. The month of Elul is the 30 days that Mr. or Mrs. Mohammed wrote and said, thank you for the teaching of the blowing of the shofar. The month of Elul is 30 days of blowing the shofar a hundred times leading up to the rapture, Rosh Hashanah. The blowing of the shofar is symbolic of the birth pangs. It's the wake-up call. The reason I started this series is because we look at the coronavirus. We look at the rioting in the streets. We look at the, uh, just like that. I can remember watching television, a basketball game was getting, an NBA game was getting ready to start, and they came in and said, we're shutting down the stadium. And just like that, not over a period of years, like that, our economy was shut down. Like that, guys. Nobody going to work, nobody buying, nobody selling, nobody doing business, just like, and not in a city, worldwide. It's a wake-up call. The reason why a woman has birth pangs is saying, make sure you're ready. Something is about to change forever in your life. When you have a baby, when that baby is born, your life changes forever. Right, ladies? It's, It's forever change. The reason why God is letting us see, getting a taste, a shadow of riots in the streets, a shadow of economy collapsing, a shadow of plagues, worldwide plagues, that I believe was released on purpose. Worldwide plagues. This is a shadow of of what it's going to be like from the rapture to the second coming. Do you understand? You look at the rioting on the streets. I had friends tell, tell us that up in New York, um, the, uh, the uh, Antifa, 
Antifa, Antifa would go into restaurants and throw food on people, old couples sitting there and drink their drink and throw food on them and stuff. And the mayor doesn't do anything. In fact, the mayor made a statement who's on this one party group, made a statement to the Orthodox, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Say, well, isn't he a Jew? ask, Ask certain rabbis, what makes a Jew? Heart or blood? What makes a Christian? Going to church? Going to church don't make you a Christian any more than going into chicken coop makes you a chicken. Well, I believe in Jesus. Why call me Lord and you don't do the things I say? Amen? So all of a sudden you, you see... You, you see governments allowing businesses to be ransacked, businesses to be burned, and they go, oh, no, it's a block party. Well, this is a shadow. If you miss this, Rosh Hashanah is the rapture. If you miss that, then you got no choice but to go through this. So God gives us a, a wake-up call. He gives us the birth pain. And, and the reason for the blowing of the shofar is to wake up. And when you hear the shofar blowing, you're obligated to take that shofar and blow it so others can hear it. Not to keep quiet. Well, you know, am I being too political? Listen, if there's ever been a time to be political, it's right now. This is the most important election. This is the most important election ever. The most important election ever. The blowing of the shofar is saying, wake up, don't miss the rapture. If you miss the rapture, then you have seven years of tribulation. Now, during the seven years, you have three and a half years, and then you have three and a half years. In this back three and a half years is when the Antichrist shows himself for what he is. And he sets himself on the, on the uh, mountaintop in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount. And he, he, he uh, performs the abomination of desolation. At the beginning of this three and a half years, the rapture is taking place. The rapture is God's judgment on us. If we're lukewarm, if we're, if we're not being what Christians are supposed to be, or Jews, what Jews are supposed to be, we missed the rapture. I'm going to show you this in the wedding supper. We miss it. We miss it. This is serious stuff. This is not, you're not going to, you know, so pastor, you're being too political. If the rapture took place tomorrow, you won't be able to say, I wish pastor would have told us. Right? Hate me now, love me later. During the first, and I'm going to teach on this next week. During the first three and a half is where the two witnesses in Jerusalem rise up. I got to get on my message. From here, from the rapture to here are where 95% of the prophecies concerning Israel take place. And I'm going to show you that today and next week. From the rapture. After the rapture, all Christians are gone. 
somebody's going to go, you know what, maybe they were right. During that first three and a half, the two witnesses in Jerusalem found in the book of Revelation, was it Revelations 11, I think it is, found in book of Revelations that, uh, which probably are Elijah and Moses are all of a sudden going to appear in Jerusalem saying who the Messiah is. After the, then they'll be, and we'll go over this next week. It's fascinating. Then they're killed and resurrected again. After the three and a half years, three and a half years is when the, the last three and a half years is when the Antichrist shows up. When the Antichrist shows up and he lets everybody know he is the Antichrist, you see in this next three and a half years, 144,000 Jewish evangelists standing up for the Messiah. Why 144,000 Jewish evangelists? Because Moses and Elijah were just resurrected from the dead. After the three and a half years comes the second coming, and at at the second coming begins the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, turn with me to the book of Revelations, chapter 19. You ready for me to rock your world? Oh, we're out of time. (laughs) Jesus is giving the illustration of the wedding supper. And he says, a king decides to have a wedding celebration for his son. He goes and invites certain people. And they say, you know what? That's good, but I'm too busy. The king's upset. So he says, I want you to go everywhere, invite everyone, bring them so that my son's house is full. Then in the middle of that, he's looking at the wedding and he sees somebody sitting there that shouldn't be there. They don't have the right garments on. Well, if everybody's in heaven, everybody's in hell. Who's the one that got in without the right garment? Well, that's that's taking place right in here. So. Here we have a wedding celebration. And then Revelations 19 rocks our world. Revelation 19, chapter 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sounds of many waters, as the sounds of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. A great multitude, multitude, great multitude. Now, I want you to think about something. At a wedding, you have the bride, you have the groom, And you have all the guests. You don't have a multitude of grooms. And you don't have a multitude of brides. You have a multitude of guests. Okay? Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife 
has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Right. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, when I first started studying this, one of the first teachings I came up with was was from Spurgeon. Spurgeon was one of the greatest biblical scholars, lived maybe 100 years ago or so, great biblical scholar. And he points out something. He said, picture this. John has been meeting with the angel. We're at chapter 19. So the angel's been with John, given some pretty heavy stuff. But all of a sudden, he gets to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he says, John, write this down. Don't just keep this in memory. What I'm about to tell you, I want, I don't ever want it misquoted. So write this down. Now, he's been talking about the seven churches of Revelation. That's some pretty heavy stuff. But when he gets to the marriage supper of the Lamb, he said, John, get your pen and paper. Write this down, because what I'm about to tell you is the true sayings of God. We can't wing this. We can't just be close on this. And he said, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true sayings of God. Now, let me take five minutes and remind you what I taught last week. And if you didn't get last week's teachings, please get it. A Jewish wedding. A Jewish wedding has two main components to it. First off, the father decides his son needs a bride. So he sends someone, in the case that of Matthew 22, it's the angel, he sends a servant to the village next to his village to find his son a bride. She agrees to be a bride. So he takes a price and gives a price to the family for that bride. Of course, we know Jesus is the bridegroom, and he paid a price with his life so that we could be children of God. Okay, he goes back and he tells the son, this woman has decided to be your bride, right? He comes back and meets his bride for the first time, and they sign a a contract um, not a ketubah uh, shetar tanim uh, they sign a contract and, and the moment they sign a contract and she says I, I, I will marry you I, I will be they are legally married okay in, in our world you get engaged but you're not legally married in the time of Jesus in the time of David when you got engaged, you signed the shatar tanim, and that meant you are married. You are now married. Now, you can't be with him yet. 
because he now has to fill an obligation, but you are legally married. When the Bible talks about a writ of divorce, that's what he's talking about. She has to stay faithful. She wears the crown with the 10, the 10 coins on it. And, and she has to stay faithful. He says, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And I've gone over this. When you go to Israel, you'll see houses that have new parts put onto them. Some people still do that, Arab and Jewish alike. They, he goes to his father's house and he builds a, a place in his father's house for his bride. He is already married. No ceremony except the, the, the uh, betrothal ceremony, but they are legally married. Now, it's important that you understand that. They are legally married even though she hasn't come to be with him yet. Okay? He has spies watching her make sure that she's staying faithful because she can't go out with anybody else. She can't be with anybody else. She is legally married. After at least a year, the father then decides when the son can go get him. They said to Jesus, when will you come back? He said, that's not my hands, that's in my father's. This is a Jewish wedding. Then he comes and comes for his bride, and this begins the, the wedding ceremony that's about to take place. All right, you'll understand this in a minute. So here's the question. Let's picture... We're having a wedding today. Who would be in the building if we're having a wedding? Well, you'd have the father. We know the father, the king in Matthew is our heavenly father. We know the bridegroom is Jesus, right? But there are two more components to the wedding. On the platform, you have the bride but out here you have the invited guests. Right? Let it picture it. The angel says to John, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding. Let me read it to you so you get it exactly. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So who's the bride and who are the invited guests? Now, last week or a few weeks ago, we were talking about this, and I said something that I have been saying for over 40 years. That we are a glorious bride, Ephesians chapter 5. We're a glorious bride without spot or without wrinkle, Ephesians chapter 5. The only problem is when I started studying this, I went and looked at that, and that is not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say we are a glorious bride without spot or without wrinkle. It says we are a glorious church without spot or without wrinkle. As a matter of fact... There is nowhere in the New Testament that calls the church the bride of Christ. I'll wait. When I came out and showed the statistics, she goes, are you sure? I said, look it up. When you go home, look, Google, is the church the bride of Christ? 
It's an analogy out of Ephesians chapter 5 that says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So you ought to love your husband, love your wives as the Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I speak a mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. But there is nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it call the church the bride of Christ. Nowhere. Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. As a matter of fact, the term bride of Christ is found nowhere in the Bible. It's not even the term. And we're in the back and 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 all the guys are back there and they're all going. I said, Google it. Google it up right now. Is the term bride of Christ found in the Bible? No, not one place. The term bride of Christ was given to the church 1,500 years ago by Rome. There is nowhere, now hold on, it's okay. We're still invited. We're the guests. We're the guests. There's nowhere in the Bible that says we are the bride of Christ. The term doesn't exist. We think it does. Just like people use it, the world's flat. Well, how do you know it? Because everybody knows it. It's a tradition. Go to Revelations 21. Everybody okay? Now, look at me. We're okay. It's even better. It's even better. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I, won't, I won't get there today. Look at me. We're not the bride of Christ. We're not, we're not the bride of Christ. We're better. It's better. We're part of the body of Christ. I still got to get there. When you go into a wedding, what do they say? Are you, with, are you on the bride's side or the groom's side? We're part of the groom. We're part of the Messiah. But there's even, it's even better. You, you okay? You all, you all right? Say, you know, I had a lady one time, I was preaching years and years ago, and I said, we don't go to Jesus. We go through Jesus. She goes, she came up to me and she goes, I don't want to know that. And I can feel that on some of you. You're going, no, you're rocking our boat. It's the same thing of, of replacement theology. Well, we're the new Jews. No, we're not the new Jews. We're grafted in. I don't want to know that. But this is for our good. Are you okay? You know, I have actually met with my family. I said, should I even teach this? And they go, Dad, you got to. Okay, now hold on. Revelations chapter 21. You okay? Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Right? And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like um, most precious stones like jasper and clear crystal. And she also had a great and high wall with 12 gates and the 12 angels at the gates and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. The angel came and said, now, now, first off, the angel said, now write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And then he said, come on, I'm going to show you the bride. And he shows the bride. And what does he show? Dallas? No, we're invited. 
Rome? Paris? D.C.? Jerusalem. Who are the 12 corners of the city? The 12 tribes of Israel. Now we're grafted into that. I told him I shouldn't teach this. Look, I got, I got nine minutes. Jeremiah three fourteen. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. Now that word married there is the word eshurin, which means I am engaged to you. Now remember, remember from the very beginning, God said, I'm engaged to you. When you're engaged to someone, you are married to them. But it's the betrothal. It's not the ceremony yet. The ceremony's coming right here. The engagement took place with Abraham, with Moses. The engage- Was Mary a virgin? Yet you read in John, was it John 1, where it says, Joseph, her husband. Well, is she, is she a virgin or is she married? She was engaged. Have we replaced Israel as the chosen of God? No. And we haven't replaced Israel as the bride. God's engaged to her. But there's a wedding wedding, uh, uh, reception that's going to take place real soon. And you and I are preparing that. Return, O backsliding children of Israel, for I am married, engaged to you, betrothed to you. Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Once again, betrothed. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Lord will call you back as you were a wife deserted. What did Paul say? They've been set aside in part for a while. Are you okay with this? As a wife deserted, distressed in spirit, a wife who married young, only to to seem to be rejected, say, your God, for a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. engaged God engaged himself betrothed himself but through this period he said it looks like I abandoned you but I am I go to my father's house I'm preparing a place for you too that's about to take that's what we're seeing happen right now this is almost there it's almost there go to Hosea the book of Hosea I know I got six minutes I got a Wrap this up or you'll never come back. Hosea, um, Hosea chapter 2. And it shall be in that day, verse 16. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband. And I no longer will call you and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her the mouth the names of Baals, and they shall remember by their name no more. 
In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts in the field, the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground, the bow, the, uh, the sword, the battle, and I will shatter the earth and shall make them light. All right, without going into detail. He says, he says I, I'm engaged to you. Once you're engaged, you are married. And God has not written a divorce to her. It seems like she's been forsaken for a while but that's what paul said that's for our sake so that the gospel would leave jerusalem and go to the whole world but he said i will come back for you when's he coming back for her 95 percent of the prophecies concerning israel the land the people the messiah everything start right here and end right here at the wedding supper of the lamb and then where do you see what happens here so when this happens, the two, the two witnesses rise up and say, you know what? Those Christians were right. Jesus is the Messiah. But the Antichrist will have them killed. But out of them being killed, they'll rise up again. And 144,000. And where do you see? Where do you see what happens? Where do you see next week what happens right here with the 144,000? It's mind-blowing. But watch this. All right, let me, let me, because I have four minutes. So we have the father. We have the bridegroom. We have the bride who is Israel. We have the invited guests, which are us. Is that Okay. But we have one other part of the wedding that we haven't addressed. We have the ten virgins. Right? Who are the ten virgins? Now, you know, it's amazing how we read these things. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the, uh, of the Lamb of God. And, and we're the invited guests and we're the bride. Well, you're either invited or you're the bride. But we read it as one. Come on, you know I'm right. Right? If you're the bride, you're not invited. Oh, look, I'm invited to celebrate me. I know I'm being silly, but it, it takes a little bit, this 2,000 years of tradition. Right? 2,000 years of tradition. Look, I've never seen so many people going through their Bibles in one service than you are right now. Trust me, we went through them all. And you look it up. It's an analogy. The bride of Christ is an analogy. That's it. But we've accepted it as scripture. Israel is the bride of Christ. So you have, you have the bride and you have guests. We're the invited guests. But then we have the ten virgins. Now, I've preached and I've heard it preached that the ten virgins are the bride. Well, this is, this is either the luckiest groom in the world or the stupidest one in the world. I got my hands full with one beautiful, wonderful bride. And all the men said, thank you very much. Derek, send me a letter. But we've heard it, right? The, the, the ten virgins. That, well, who are the ten virgins? Okay, we're having a wedding up here. 
Okay, you, you, you've got, you've got the, the man performing or the woman performing the wedding. You've got the groom, the bride. Who else is up here? Who said it? Bridesmaids. Groomsmen. The ten virgins are the bridesmaids. The bridesmaids were the ones who would be tending the bride. I won't get into the groomsmen. The groomsmen are the ones who comes and blows the shofar and shouts the bridegroom comes. But the bride, everything is, everything is ready. Everybody knows it's ready. And the bride is in her bridal chamber. Okay? And the party, the wedding reception starts before the bride and the bridegroom get there. Now, in our weddings, we have the wedding, and then we have the reception, and then we have the honeymoon. It's not the way it worked in Israel. In Israel, they had, they had the engagement. They're married. He goes to prepare a place. They sign a contract. And then when the father says it's time, they go and get the bride. They, they, if the village is close, you know, across the hill, then she, is, she knows that it's almost time. But the groom is with uh, the groom is with the groomsman, and they're doing the groomsman things, and they're celebrating, and they're doing this stuff. And so the bride's bride is in her chamber, and the bridesmaid are in a room next to the bride. And the bridesmaids fall asleep because the groom's delaying his coming. And so all of a sudden, the groomsmen blow the shofar at night, usually at midnight. Remember, we taught that. Blow the shofar and shout, the bridegroom cometh. And the bridesmaids wake up. They wake up, and they go, and they get their lamps and their, the, to light. But some of them didn't bring enough oil. Because what happens is, is that when the bride comes out and meets the bridegroom, then the bridesmaids and the groomsmen all lift up their lamps and they make a procession of their lights shining through the streets to go to the father's house. Sometimes she's in, sometimes they're carrying her, sometimes they're in a, in a carriage or sometimes they're walking, but their lights are shining. This is why the five foolish virgins say to the five wise, give us some of your oil. We're out. And they said, we can't give you lest we run out. What do you mean run out? If the bridegroom came and that's the end of it, your light's lit. But they got to go from this world to the father's house. And they got to make sure they got enough oil to keep their lights going. When they get to the father's house, the last of the uh, procession comes in and they shut the door. And this is where the five foolish come and say, let us in. They say, we can't, the door shut. While the party's going on, while the party's going on, the bride and the bridegroom, the bridegroom is the Messiah, the bride is Israel, the bride and the bridegroom go away for sometimes seven days. See, a, a, a wedding reception didn't last one day. It lasted a week. What was the first miracle Jesus did? Where did he do it at? Wedding supper of Cana. On what day did he do it? Third day. 
Mary comes to him and said, they're out of wine. Well, man, they've been partying third day, three days. Let them go home. No, they still got four more days. At the end of the four days, at the end of the seven days, the bride and the bridegroom, Israel and the Messiah, show themselves, and all of the, all of the friends of the bridegroom and the bride rejoice. They celebrate. So here's the last thing I'm going to tell you today. The father is the king. Jesus is the bridegroom. Israel is the bride. We're the invited guests. But who are the friends of the groom and the friends of the bride? If you're getting married and you're the bride... All the people sitting out here are your friends, right? But who are the ones standing next to you? Your best friends. We're the, we're the virgins. We're the ones who are, you and I, and many others now around the world, are friends of Israel. We're Israel's best friends. This minister was nominated as one of the top 50 most influential people in the world last week to Israel. In the world. We're, we're the friends of the bride. We're not just guests. Now, being a guest is great. It's wonderful. Being a guest is the blessed are the right this down. Blessed are those who are invited. And, and the world is invited. But there's some of us that get to sit at the wedding table. Come on. Right? Come on. Some of us get to sit at the wedding table. And so the message in this, while the blowing of the shofar with the birth pangs, is that if you, got, if you became a part of this ministry or you began to follow this ministry, you go, you're right. Pastor, you're right about Israel. You're right about the nation of Israel. And, and I didn't get to show you all the scriptures, but God says not only are the people, the Jewish people, my bride, the land of Israel is my bride. The land itself is my bride. You think about the promises of God, the land of Israel being returned. We're, you know, we fight for the undivided Israel. But if you look at a map, the land that God gave Israel includes not just Israel, includes Jordan and Syria and, and all that. When will that happen? Folks, that's going to happen. That's going to happen right here. That's going to happen right here. The prophecies of Israel are being fulfilled right before our eyes. And the thing I want you to understand is, is that we're going to be able to sit. If we stay faithful to God... If we stay faithful to the bridegroom and the bride, we're part of the body of Christ. Jointly fit together. Don't now, don't now on the one yard line, don't let your oil run out. Don't let your oil run out. Because we are so close to the wedding reception. I mean, it's happening every day. Friends of Israel, partners with Israel. It's happening every day. God says to us, wake up. Even though you love the Lord, you're part of the bride. And you love the bride. Or you're part of the bridegroom and you love the bride. Wake up. 
Don't let your oil run out. Now's not the time. Now's the time to hear the shofar. Now's the time to wake up and say, you know what? I need to get back in serving God. I need to get back in standing with the nation of Israel. I need to get back in helping with Aliyah. I need to get back in standing with the Holocaust survivors. I need to get back in Tikkun Olam of making the world a better place. I will bless those who bless Israel. Well, that's unlimited. But someday for you and I, who stand with the nation of Israel because of Jesus, though you and I who stand with the nation of Israel, we won't just be the invited guest. Amen. We're going to be at the wedding supper table. And it's... Now, now listen to me. This is a shadow. This is a shadow. Someday that really is going to happen, and we're closer than we think. But I believe in all my heart The shadow is the same thing as the real thing, only it's temporary. I believe this next year, if we'll dedicate ourselves to God, to Jesus, and to Israel, dedicate, serving him, we're going to be sitting at the the, the wedding supper table all this year, and it's going to be the best year of my life and your life so far. Do you receive that? You receive this. Stand with me all over the building. I went a little long, but I go long every week. How many understand what I'm saying? We're not the bride. Now, and, I, and, and you know, I'm going to get letters. I, you know, when we, I first started teaching, we haven't replaced Israel. You should, I had people walk out of the church, send me hate mails, accuse me of, uh, of heresy and everything. And now all of a sudden I went from a heretic to a prophet. But in the last days, you talk about, an, you talk about anti-Semitism. Now think about this. Replacement theology. We're the, this is, the replacement theology is what caused the Holocaust. It's what caused the Inquisitions. It's what caused the pogroms. It's what caused, has caused the death of millions and millions and millions and millions of Jewish men, women, and children throughout history. Caused the death because they're the Christ killers and we've replaced them. But as you read in my book, replacement theology came because Israel was never a nation, could never become a nation. It's never happened. But in 1948, It happened exactly the way God said. They made up replacement theology. They made it up. Well, just think, if the church world acknowledges what the scriptures say. I I know you're going to go study. There There are scriptures that we can, I think I'm the bride. But there's nowhere in the scripture that says we are. But over and over again, God says, is, let me show you my bride. Let me show you my bride. It's Jerusalem. No, it's me. You know, if you went to a wedding and you go, I want to be the bride. Get Katie out of there. <laughs> Always the bridemaid. Pretty soon the bride. Amen. Pretty soon the bride. But right, you, you can't, I want to be the bride. No, well, you're, brought, you're, you're, you're invited. Are you okay with me? Because I'm going to go home and go, oh, what did I teach? Why did I, why, why did I teach him that? But just think, if the church 
had to acknowledge that Israel is the bride. If Israel is the bride. Then they can, nobody in the church can ever say we've replaced them. But we are invited. And we don't want to miss this opportunity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm, I'm nine minutes over, but I'm going to take two more minutes. If you're here right now and you say, Pastor Larry, I want to be invited to the wedding supper. You can't get in without the garment. You can't get in without the garment. But that garment is the blood of Jesus and him paying the price for us. That's the price of admission. You don't want to miss this. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You say, Pastor Larry, would you remember me in prayer? I want to accept to rededicate my life to Jesus. Slip your hand up and hold it there just for a moment. I see that hand, 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 that hand. Just keep it up, please. That hand, 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 that hand 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 anybody else waving at me just putting it up that hand I'm sorry that hand that hand that hand that hand that hand God bless you that hand God bless you that hand God bless you give these people a great big clap offering amen we're gonna pray but let me say this understanding that Israel is the bride of Christ does not lessen us. The angel said, write this down. These are the true sayings of God. Blessed are those who are invited. But, 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 Pastor, Israel has not accepted the Messiah. They're still married. But something's about to happen. Do you know more, by, more books have been written by rabbis in the last three and a half years about Jesus than in the history of the world? In the history of the world? You know why? Because you and I, as the, the ten virgins, we're giving them a Jewish Jesus. We're close to the end, and our best is yet to come. Let's lift our hands up. Let's say this out loud. Say, Father. I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I declare every curse is reversed and every blessing is released not someday but today in jesus name amen and amen if you receive that give the lord a clap offering